Good morning. For those of you that don't know me, I'm Kevin and Cindy's youngest, and I actually have a new last name. It's <laughs> Yesterday was my six-month anniversary, so I'm kind of excited. Um, but my name's Rebecca Proctor, formerly Rebecca Moyers, and um, I am just glad to be with you guys this morning. You may not know this, but my family loves Buicks. Not only do we drive Buicks, but we are Buicks. Brought up in church kids, which is great. I love that. Um, I love this church. I am a byproduct of this church. And I have so many memories of basically this being my second home growing up. And um, I'm really grateful to God that that's my story, that I have parents who taught me to love Jesus. But that wasn't always the case. Um, during those formative years in, in middle school and, and high school, I really struggled just kind of finding out my identity. And um, I struggled being a preacher's kid. I didn't like being a preacher's kid. And a lot um, happened, and my heart kind of became captivated by a lot of things other than Jesus. And so because of that, I did not want to be here. I didn't want to have much to do with church. And um, I definitely didn't want to be associated with the fact that my dad was the preacher. So me being the great, stubborn person that I am, just despite my parents, I would um, fight with them about coming to church. I would question them about their faith because I didn't want it to be real. I was smart. I knew that if what they believed was true, and if coming here and believing the word of God was true, then that meant that I couldn't live the way that I wanted to, which was, here's Rebecca, here's the world revolving around Rebecca, and it's all about me. And I liked it that way. I liked being my own God. But I learned that finding my identity in anything other than Jesus was never enough. They were just counterfeit gods. So... I work at a bank right now, and a few weeks ago, someone gave us counterfeit money. It was a $10 bill. And when I first got it, I had no idea that it was counterfeit. And um, a coworker of mine, we held up the, uh, a real $10 bill next to the fake one, and it wasn't until I saw the real one that I could realize that the fake one obviously had no value. Because they felt different, um, the counterfeit one had a different coloring to it. When you looked at it, the president, it actually, the ink was a little grainy, and um, it just had no value. And that's kind of the idea of what I was doing with my life. Um, I was looking for my identity in all these counterfeit gods, and at the end of the day, they had no value. So, for example... I needed to feel pretty, but when I found my identity in that, I was constantly comparing myself to other people, and I felt like I was never good enough. Or I needed approval from friends or from guys, and, and when I got that approval, I was on cloud nine. When I didn't, I felt really low, and so my identity was based in their opinion of me for that day. Or I needed to have the next Apple product, right? I would beg my parents for it. I would get it. It'd be cool for a while. Then it'd get old, go in the closet, and I'd want the next new thing. Or I needed to have my own way. But when I didn't get what I wanted, I was pretty hateful, and I would throw a pity party. Um, and I thought I needed all of those things to be happy. But again, they were counterfeit gods. They didn't deliver what they promised. And at the end of the day, they left me feeling empty with no value. And so I think I could talk about a lot of things, I think, that God did in my life to um, 
work on my heart and get me to a place that I am now. Um, But the two things that came to my mind was, first, you guys played a really big role in how God um, worked in my heart. Um, When I was thinking about what I was going to share with you guys, so many of the names of people in this church came to my mind because you guys loved me not for who you thought I should be, but for who I was then. And that was a really big deal to me. The second thing that made a really big impact on me was just hearing and seeing people in my youth group have real relationships with Jesus and then seeing them live that out. So I remember um, taking a trip in high school um, to Ozark Christian College, and it was a weekend trip, and I think there was like eight of us that went. It was really small, and... um, we had youth group time that night, and I remember we were all talking and laughing and having a good time, and the youth minister turned the conversation to serious, which I hated, um, and he started asking, okay, so what's your guys' relationship with God look like? And I immediately started looking down. I didn't want him to call on me because I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. And I remember a few people in my youth group starting to talk, and I don't even know what they said, but all I know is that I knew that I wanted what they had. I saw that they were satisfied in Jesus, and I thought, I'm looking for that satisfaction in these counterfeit gods, and I'm not finding it, but they're finding it in Jesus. And so from that point on, I decided that I wanted to change. Um, And I could talk about all the ways Dad only gave me like five minutes to talk. So I can't tell you all the ways that God has changed me, Um, But one of the biggest things that God has done in my life is that um, he put this passion and a desire in me to love his people. And so when I went to CIY, actually, as a high school student, I decided to give um, my life to vocational ministry. Had no idea what that would look like, but I was like, okay, I'm going to go to Ozark Christian College. I'm just going to follow this. And God gave me a really great opportunity to get to go to Stillwater, Oklahoma for a year and a half. And I got to work with junior high and high school girls as a youth minister on staff. And um, so I went from this kid that struggled being a preacher's kid, I didn't want to be at church, to going into ministry, to now I married a preacher. So wish me luck for my kids, because who knows what will happen with them. But all in all... God is the one who is now leading my life, and I am now living for him. And every day, I am really trying to live out Romans 12, where I'm offering my body as an act of worship to God. And I'm saying, my heart's wants and passions and desires, they belong to you. And um, and He, I really believe that God has now blessed me to be a blessing to other people, um, to live as his child, and to bring his kingdom wherever I go. Thank you. I love that girl. (laughs) You know, before each of our kids were born, Cindy and I were praying that they would love Jesus with their whole heart. And that prayer has continued even into this day. Every week, every week, several times through the week, I'm praying 
for my kids to love Jesus first above everything. And that I'm sure that prayer will be mine until I take my last breath. And I'm praying that for my grandkids, too, as they come along. Abby is expecting a baby in September. And since the very day that she announced to us that she was pregnant, I began to pray for that little child in her to love Jesus, to be committed to Jesus. And I will keep praying. If I could use the words of the Apostle John, where he said this, I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth. Uh, I'm thankful to you, Rebecca, for your sharing your testimony with us today, and, and we're proud of you. We thank God for you and what he's done in your life, and all of us as parents, all of us as grandparents need to be praying that prayer for our kids and our grandkids that they would love Jesus with their whole heart. I was speaking to someone in the lobby just last week uh, between the services, and, and uh, I was saying to, to this person that our experience with raising kids has not always been an easy pathway. And maybe you sense that from what Rebecca said today. There have been conflicts. There have been lots of tears and lots of discussions in our home uh, over the years. You know, they haven't always made the right decisions. We haven't always been the perfect parents. And so you put those two things together, and it adds up to sometimes a rocky road. And yet there has always been one constant, and that is Jesus. Jesus has been with us, and His grace has got us through. And that's what each and every one of us can hang on to. Uh, whatever stage you're at in your life, if you're a young parent and you're raising kids and you're uh, having those kinds of struggles that you heard Rebecca talk about uh, in the home and, and you're wrestling sometimes with your kids, that remember that one constant is Jesus. Never let go of Him. Hang on to Him. Cry out to Him with your whole heart. We're in Acts 13 today, and really what we're talking about in Acts 13 goes right along with what I have just shared with you. This, this struggle, this spiritual battle that we are in, all of us. I want to read to you Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 12. Before we get to Acts 13, I want this, this passage out of Ephesians to be in your mind Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 12, as it describes this, this battle. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness, in the heavenly places. Now, the reason that I wanted to read that passage to you is simply to remind you that we are each in a battle. It is a battle against the, the forces of wickedness. 
Our battle is not against each other. Would you say that with me? Our battle is not against each other. Sometimes we forget that. We get crossways with each other and and we get to thinking that that person whom we are crossways with is our enemy. That is not true. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against Satan. He is our enemy. And he is constantly on the prowl seeking someone to devour. He is unceasing in his labor. And that is why we need to be unceasing in our prayers. We don't have the power to defeat the evil one on our own. We cannot stand toe-to-toe with him and do battle against him and expect to win. He's stronger than what we are. But we have an advocate who is standing with us, and He will help us. His power is greater than the power of the enemy. And of course, that that advocate that I'm speaking of is Jesus and the Holy Spirit whom He has given to live within us. In chapter 13 of Acts, I see over and over again the evidence of this spiritual battle that we are in. There were good things that were happening in the lives of the believers. But you see, Satan was always nearby, lurking, trying to disrupt, trying to discourage the work of the gospel. The chapter begins by listing for us five leaders who were in the church at Antioch. And two of them we are very familiar with, Saul and Barnabas. The other three, we are not so familiar with them. Simeon, who was called Niger, is one. The word Niger means dark in color or black. Simeon was most likely a Jew. As one commentary said, there were so many named Simeon in that day, this particular Simeon was differentiated from the others by the complexion of his skin. Note, there was no racial slander in this by Luke at all. It is simply a matter-of-fact way of identifying which Simeon was being spoken of. And Simeon was one of these five very respected leaders in the early church. And next, there was Lucius of Cyrene. Cyrene was on the northern tip of Africa. He was probably one of the original ones who came to Antioch. You remember a few weeks ago, we preached about these fellows who came to Antioch and they were preaching the gospel of Jesus, not just to the Jews, but also to the Greeks. Lucius was probably one of those. And then there was maybe the most interesting of the group, his name was Manahan, who it says was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. And each commentary that I read concerning this says that this means he was the foster brother of Herod Antipas. You remember here a week or so ago we talked about the Herods. Herod Antipas was the one who had the head of John the Baptist cut off. 
And so Manahan was a Roman who grew up in the palace in, along with Herod Antipas, who was his foster brother, and somewhere along the line, Manahan, he converted to Christianity and he became a leader in the Lord's church at Antioch. And this team of leaders in the church at Antioch was quite a mix. There were Jews and Gentiles in this mix. There were different nationalities and skin colors and cultures in this mix. There was one of royal descent. And then you had Saul, who was one of the Pharisaical party. And you could not have found a more diverse group than this group. And yet God had brought them together and he had made them one in Christ Jesus. And I want you to know, I'm thankful for what Daniel said around the communion table this morning, around the offering table. He said that it is Jesus who can bring us into oneness. And boy, do we ever need that, don't we? We need, we need all of us to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus because He is the one who can break down the dividing walls. And we have so many dividing walls in our country these days. And this last week we have just seen one episode after another that emphasizes that fact that we as a country have so many dividing walls. And if we are not careful as we come into the church, if, if we are not surrendering ourselves fully to Jesus, those dividing walls that divide us in the country, they can come into the church and we can have dividing walls erected even within the Lord's church. And that shouldn't be happening because Jesus is the one who can break down the dividing walls. He is the only one who can break down the dividing walls. Ephesians 2.14 says, He Himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. And of course, in this text, Paul is talking about the Jews and the Gentiles. They had this wall erected between them and they, they, they were so away from one another. And he's saying Jesus is the one who can break down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. And that's still true today. But it's also true of whatever dividing wall you want to speak of. He is the one who can break down the dividing wall. Our legislators are not, they're not going to be the answers. Jesus is the answer. Could we pray right now for a moment for our country? I think it's important that this morning, after what has happened over the last week, not just in Dallas, but in, in Louisiana and Minnesota, and just we've seen this, this same thing over and over and too often. We need to pray for our country. Would you bow with me, please? Oh, God. Our country just... It alarms us as we see what is happening all around us. And, and we see this, this 
road that we are on and so many are wondering how in the world have we got here and how can we get off of this road and what is the answer? And Lord, the church has the answer. The answer is you. The answer is your son, Jesus, in the heart of every person. He is our peace who can break down the dividing walls. And I pray that in the churches, Lord, in this church, that Jesus would be breaking down the dividing walls. Whatever those dividing walls are, Lord, it's, uh, uh, it could be so much more than just the color of one's skin. It's, it's relationships that are broken that have walls built up, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, can those walls be broken down? And Father, as it happens within the church, then may we be excited to share the message with the world that desperately needs to hear it. They don't have the answer. They have no clue. Help us to have the boldness to share with people that Jesus is our peace. It's in his name we pray, amen. As I think about what was going on at the church at Antioch, the leaders were setting the example because they themselves were diverse from one another. They're different. Several differences between them and, and yet... They're loving each other and they're one together and they're leading the church. And so I'm thinking people are seeing that amongst their leaders and it's giving them an example to follow. And, and I would pray that that would be true here, that our leaders would, would show the oneness of Christ amidst diversity. And, and, and to know that people are watching us. Those of us who are in leadership position, we need to be reminded that people are watching us and they're going to follow our example. My daughter Rebecca was telling me a story on the phone here a couple of weeks ago and I, I just notched that story in my mind because I thought i gotta got to share that sometime. Uh, her husband, Luke, is... Uh, preaching at Sheldon, Missouri, which is just about 20 miles south of Nevada. Many of you will know where Sheldon is at. It's a, it's a really good church for him to be there. And every weekend he shares the Word of God with those people. And Rebecca is there. And uh, she was saying that she has this little four-year-old girl in the church that has latched onto her every Sunday. And this little girl likes to tag along with her every step that she takes. And she'll sit by Rebecca during the church service. And she watched a few weeks ago as Rebecca was writing a check and she dropped it into the offering plate as it was passed. And the little girl says, what was that? What did you just do? And Rebecca says, that was money. You know, how do you explain what a check is to a four-year-old girl? And so it, the question was asked, and that was the quickest answer that Rebecca could give. That was money. And she had 
dropped it in the plate. And Rebecca says, every week since, the little girl sitting beside her has a piece of paper, and before the offering plate's coming, she's writing on that, she's drawing on it, and she drops it in the plate. As it goes by, she's putting money in there, she thinks. (laughs) And I'm wondering what the treasurer's thinking every Sunday as he counts the money, and here's this piece of paper again. (laughs) But... Those of us who are in leadership position, we need to know that people are watching us and they are imitating us. The leaders at Antioch were showing the people in their church how to be one amidst diversity. And the Holy Spirit was definitely a part of this. In fact, you count them if you'll read chapter Chapter 13 of Acts, you count the number of times that you see the Holy Spirit mentioned in this chapter. I think you'll find it four different times that He is mentioned. Verse 2, the Holy Spirit speaks to the leaders and gives to them a directive to follow. In verse 4, Saul and Barnabas are sent out as missionaries by the Holy Spirit. In verse 9, Saul was filled with the Holy Spirit and he spoke God's message. In verse 52, the last verse of this chapter, the people are said to be continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. I get from that that the Holy Spirit was a part of their life. The Spirit was leading them. The Spirit was speaking to them. The Spirit was filling them. The Spirit had their ear and their heart. Do you hear that last part? The Spirit had their ear and their heart. Does He have our ear? Does He have our heart? Do we hear the Spirit's voice or are we so tuned in to the world's voice that we can't hear the Spirit's voice? Are we open to the Spirit's leading? I was eating with a couple this last week who's new to our church and the lady was saying how she herself wants to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And she wants to have the Spirit's leading in her life. And as she was saying that, I was thinking, that's what I want too. Isn't that what you want? That you want the Spirit's voice to be clear to you? That you want to hear His voice? That you want the Holy Spirit to be leading you? Sure, that's what we want. We need Him desperately. The Lord has given the Holy Spirit to us not to be ignored, but rather that He would lead us, that He would convict us, that He would comfort us, that He would empower us in this spiritual battle that we are in against the enemy. You know what I found interesting too in this chapter of 13? Of Acts. Four times the Holy Spirit is mentioned, and four times on the other side, I see the devil trying to cause havoc, havoc in the lives of the believers. 
I told you, he is constantly working and he is trying hard to disrupt and discourage the progress of the gospel. The devil is not a funny little character in a red in a red suit with a pitchfork and horns and a tail. No, he is a murderer, Jesus said. He is a liar. He is a thief. And his mission is to kill and steal and destroy. The first time that we see the devil in this chapter is in in verses 5 through 12. Let me read to you chapter 13, verses 5 through 12. When they, this is Barnabas and and Saul and, and John Mark is with them. When they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they also had John as their helper. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they found a magician, a Jewish false prophet whose name was Bargesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of, of intelligence. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus the magician, for so his name is translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him and said, You who are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and he will, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. You see the wrestling match that's going on back and forth, this spiritual wrestling match. You've got a man who has summoned Paul and Barnabas uh, to him, and he wants to hear the word of the Lord. He is hungry for the truth of God, but Satan is not lying down. He's prodding the magician Bar-Jesus to oppose Barnabas and Saul. Do you know what the name Bar-Jesus means? Son of Jesus. He was a false Jesus, is what he was. Saul, though, being filled with the Holy Spirit, called him by a more appropriate name. He called him Son of the Devil. Right to his face. And some would say, well, boy, Saul sure wasn't being very nice there or tactful. Well, I suppose Saul could see that this fellow was being a tool of the devil. And so he called him for what he was. He said, you are a son of the enemy. You are son of the evil one, the son of the devil, an enemy of righteousness, full of deceit and fraud. And then he struck the guy with temporary blindness. And the point I want you to see is the reality of the spiritual battle that we are in. Satan does not want us to hear the word of God. And so he'll do whatever he can to distract us, to divert our attention away from the truth. He did the same thing in Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 18. 
I'll not take the time to read that to you, but there, Saul and Barnabas again, they're in Philippi, and, and here they're preaching the word of God, and here comes a, a girl with, with an evil spirit, and she keeps saying to them, uh, or to those around, these men, they are servants of the Most High God. And she just kept on saying that, and kept on saying that. And finally... Paul turns around and he casts the demon out of the girl. You see, Satan does not want us to hear the word of God. Why, why do you think that is the case? Why doesn't he want us to hear the word of God? Because he knows what the word of God can do for us. He knows that the Word of God can convict us. It can enlighten us. It can set us free, Jesus said. It can soften the hardest of hearts. It can revive us, the psalmist said. James 1.21 said, it can save our souls. That's what the Word of God can do for you. And Satan knows that. He, this book is, he is anti-Bible all the way. And He will do anything He can to keep you from hearing the Word of God. And that's true on a Sunday morning. He's going to be trying to distract you as the Word of God is being preached. But it's not just true on Sunday morning. It's true through the week. He wants to keep you divorced from this book. He doesn't want you in this book. He doesn't want you listening to the Word of God and being spoken to by the Spirit of God. So He'll distract you. He'll do whatever He can to keep you and this book separate from one another. You know, my, my main prayer this last week, as, as last week, Sunday, I challenged you as individuals to pray for our kids at CIY and even to sign up for a student or a sponsor that you would specifically target in prayer to God through the week. And so I had a young man that I was praying for every day and my specific prayer for him every day and for the group as a whole was that they would have ears to hear the word of God. that they would have a heart open to the Word of God. Because I know that if one has an open heart and open ears to the Word of God, then he is then set free to work in that person's heart. Back to chapter 13 of Acts, and I know that we're, we're right at the end of our time here. But there's, there's three other ways that I'm seeing him, Satan, working. We've said the Holy Spirit four times in this chapter. He's leading, he's, he's sending out, he's speaking to, he's filling up. And on the other hand, Satan is trying to do his thing. Let me show you... Verse 13. 
Now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, but John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now what, what's that all about? This is John Mark. He's with them on the missionary journey and midstream... He goes home. He leaves them. And we find out later, through other passages of Scripture, Paul was very upset over this. Why did John Mark leave them? Some, and it's all speculation, some think he got homesick. He just couldn't hack it anymore, too far away from home. He bails on them. I I read a commentary this week, had five speculations, five reasons as to why John Mark might have left them. One of them kind of caught my attention. And that was that maybe John Mark began to see the change of leadership that was taking place in the missionary team. Up to this point, It's always been Barnabas and Paul, or Saul. Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul. Chapter 13, about midway through, you begin to see Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. And it seems like the position of leadership has transitioned from Barnabas to Paul, becoming the main leader and the main voice. And the speculation has been that maybe maybe Mark struggled with this change. He couldn't he just couldn't handle the change. You 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 may know may or may not know this. Barnabas and John Mark were cousins. So you know maybe this was a family thing and he's taken you know he's he's upset that his cousin's losing the the primary position. Barnabas didn't have a problem with it at all. But what I see here is Satan possibly recognizing that people just struggle sometimes with change. And when that change happens, whatever it may be, whether it's a change in leadership or just a change in the way things have always been done, Satan is right there, ready to raise his ugly head and cause havoc in the Lord's church. And so what I want to encourage you, and we'll just we'll close with this and not even be able to finish the rest of the sermon, but we'll close with this. Recognize Satan's tactics from years past. He's, he's the same old prowling lion that he has always been and he has the same old tricks that when he sees change happening in the Lord's church whatever it may be change in music change in leadership change in the way things have always been done before it can be an okay change change is okay But Satan is there and he's trying to prod you.
to not be happy about the change and to be so focused on the change that you lose focus on Jesus. Don't let that happen to you. Let's pray together. God, help us to be full of the Holy Spirit, to be led by the Holy Spirit. To know that our enemy is the one of darkness, the devil. And we need Jesus to help us. It's in his name we pray.